Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers, welcome to another lovely saunter in the garden. Um, and today we're finishing off Luke chapter 12. Remember we were looking at Luke, the the doctor, who's observing and writing an eyewitness account of Jesus, the miracle worker. And so I'm just fascinated how these two kind of seemingly opposing worlds come together, as in the man of science and the man of the supernatural, how they, um, how one views the other. And so... Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. Lord Jesus, we believe you're here wanting to speak to us through your word. And even maybe anyone who's somewhat sceptical, Lord, I pray that you will still speak into their hearts, Lord. And just anyone who's interested in finding out about you, Lord, let them stumble on this in Jesus' name. And let it be an eye-opener. Amen. Good morning, Kathy. Good to see you. So we stopped off at verse 13 of Luke chapter 12 yesterday and so let's read on he says um, someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me but he said to him man who made me a judge or arbitrator over you and he said to them take care and be on your guard against all covetousness For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and, and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul! You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Wow. Good morning, Caroline and Alison and Deepak. This is quite a challenging little statement from Jesus, little bunch of statements. So what he's saying is be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. Now, one of the Ten Commandments was you shall not covet. Good morning, Fran. And so we know that, but coveting is strongly desiring that which belongs to somebody else or that which we don't have, I guess. Um, But I think usually it's when it belongs to somebody else. And so we're kind of, I really need that. I really want that. I would, you know, and so 
it becomes an obsession and fills our minds. And Jesus is saying, actually, be on your guard against this. This is actually something that will rob you. And, oh man, and he tells this story. Now, I think we live in a society that is very, very covetousness. And the whole kind of advertising industry is sort of predicated on that idea that actually we need to create a degree of dissatisfaction with the stuff we have and make people want more stuff that they don't have and so maybe that someone else has gotten so we show them this beautiful woman or this beautiful man with this beautiful car and this beautiful watch this beautiful skin color everything else and we make them desire that and so then we can earn money by selling the product to someone who's kind of coveting something and actually Jesus says, do you know what, this is a big, big trap. It's going to snare you and cost you a lot. So, right, he says, then he tells this story and he tells this parable about this rich guy whose land is really, really productive. He's got this great bumper harvest coming in. He's built these big barns to store it in. And he's like, man, my barns aren't big enough. So he tears them down, builds bigger barns, stores it all up. And he's thinking, that's it. I've got it. I'm done. I can just relax, enjoy my life, eat and drink and be merry. I don't have to work anymore. I've got, oh, look at it. Look at me. I can live off of this forever. Good morning, Paul. And then Jesus says, God spoke to him in the night and said, you fool, because tonight you're going to, I need you. I'm going <laughs> to, your life is over. This life is over. And what have you got? And so Jesus is saying, listen, you guys, it's such a temptation to focus on the temporary things, the things around us, the trappings of what seems to be a successful life. Jesus says, don't make the mistake of neglecting the, your heart towards God, because actually that's where the real treasure is. That's where the real value is. That's where the investment is that will will set you up not just for this life, but for the life to come. And so this guy tears down his barns and God meets him in the night and says, you fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? There was a famous little anecdote. Um, I think it was J.D. Rockefeller when he died, he was worth something like 1.4 billion, which in today's um, equivalent would be something like 400 and something billion dollars. He was just insanely wealthy and someone said how much did he leave and the answer came back real quick everything and that's the point when we die we leave everything we don't know necessarily who's going to get it who's going to profit from all our hard work and so Jesus is saying listen make your investment in something that is secure that is eternal it doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare for the future it doesn't mean we shouldn't have savings or maybe a pension plan or something like that that's all good wisdom very practical but let's not be so obsessed with it that we lose sight of where the real treasure and the real investment needs to be made and that's in our relationship with God and our our attitude towards him and so now he's going to kind of take us on a bit of an excursion where we explore that a bit Verse 22, he said to his disciples, therefore, so the, he's linking these two thoughts. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat 
nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Just let me pause there for a second. Do not be anxious about your life. That's kind of everything pertaining to this life. Now we have a, I've, I, I work with a lot of people and I hear a lot of stories where people talk about anxiety like it's really, really controlling them. My anxiety is really high today. So he's then, so let's just read on what Jesus says. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing or the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, nor have they, they have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you as well, or these things will be added to you. And so he's saying, listen, guys, you're anxious about all these things. That makes you just the same as everybody else all around you. And you kind of might want to say, well, I kind of am the same as everybody else all around me. I still need to eat. I still need to wear clothes. I still need to be decent when I walk out of the house. Um, same as everybody else. I still need money to buy food. And yes, we do. But Jesus is saying there is another principle at work here. And this is your father. He says, God feeds the birds. God clothes the lilies. They're beautiful and they're perfectly dressed. And God clothes them. And even Solomon, beautifully dressed as he was, couldn't compare to a lily. He says, God clothes the grass, which is alive today. And it's just a transient thing. He's saying, listen, God is going to clothe you. God is going to care for you. If you could understand, this is the context of the life of a believer, someone who is enjoying the benefits of being a child of God. And he remember he said yesterday, didn't he, that that God knows how many hairs there are on your head. He's trying to paint a picture of God the Father watching over his children with tenderness and love and compassion, treating them gently like a little sparrow, loving them and caring for them and providing for them. And he's saying, if you could just get this reality into your heart, you would not need to be anxious. So when Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious, he's not saying something kind of sketchy and vague like oh man cheer up it's not that bad he's he's not trying to give you positive thinking what he's trying to do is help you see and help us see another reality which is that actually we have a father who really 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 loves us who really cares for us and is able strongly to and bountifully to provide for us if we would trust him 
anxiety is trusting our is kind of like really putting our trust in our own mind if i can just worry enough surely i'll be able to solve this problem it doesn't it doesn't fix anything and he says how many of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life or another translation says and any can add a single cubit to his height well a cubit's about 18 inches so actually you can you can't you're not going to get actually the truth is that by being anxious it doesn't add anything to us it robs us it it takes away from us and um i was talking to a lady yesterday who spends pretty much all of her time indoors because she's anxious about going outside and there are so many people in prisons of anxiety just all around us where anxiety is dominating their thinking and it's because they don't have this awareness and understanding that God is a very very good father who is able to give us all we need and provide for us and wants to and then he says verse 32 fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom fear not don't be afraid it's your father's good pleasure. It's not like he's holding out on you, but actually he's overwhelmingly desiring to give you. It's his good pleasure. It's something that makes him happy to give you the kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God is his resource. It's this hidden realm all around us that he occupies where miracles happen. And the, super, the things we see Jesus doing, they're because of the kingdom. He says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So he's saying, this is all around you. This is something for you to actually uh, the father wants to give it to you wants to make it available to you freely so he fear not little flock so he's speaking to them like a shepherd and tenderly it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom sell your possessions and give to the needy <clears throat> provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also we could say a lot about this is jesus recommending that everybody sells everything they have every christian sells all their stuff and gives it to the poor well that's only good until that money runs out isn't it so it's clear that we need to continue to go to work and do these things and prepare and live and plan and all the rest of it but Jesus is saying, if you want to understand how this kingdom works, test God in it. Sell your stuff. Give it away and see what God gives you back in return, because God is able. If you put yourself slightly off balance, that's why something's so good about tithing, giving 10 percent of your income to the Lord. It's because it sets you up at a disadvantage straight away. It means that already the instinct for us is to spend up to the limit of what we've got and the, what we earn. So the when we tithe, what we're doing is we're saying straight away, I'm building in this dependence on God where I need God to provide for me because I've already given 10% of my stuff, my income to him. He's going to have to do some miracles to make the bills get paid and all the rest of it. But he's saying, where you, put your treasure in heaven. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also where your investment is you're going to keep your eye on that investment right stay dressed for action this is a 
change of tack slightly now stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes truly i say to you he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them wow this is an interesting picture, isn't it? So he's saying, you know, just when your master is away, stay awake, stay busy, stay ready for him because he's coming back. And he's kind of setting us up with a bit of a picture of his own return. And he's saying there's going to come a time where, he, where he's not around and he's going to come back and he's hoping and believing that there are going to be people continuing on doing the stuff he's doing when he returns. So he's saying, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And then he says, he'll serve them, which is amazing, isn't it? Verse 38, if he comes in the second watch or the third, this is in the middle of the night. They divided the night up into watches and finds them awake. Blessed are those servants, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So now we're at slightly changing tack and we're hearing about a thief coming. And so once again, if we knew a thief was coming, we'd be up ready, wouldn't we, with a cricket bat or something ready to bosh him on the head. Um, um, but if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And he's saying, I'm coming back. So he's jumped. He's literally jumped over the crucifixion, the resurrection, Pentecost, all these things now. And he's talking about his final return, it would seem. Um, and so, whoa, we're like, oh, it's hard to sometimes keep up with where Jesus is going in his thinking. And I guess I don't know whether he says all these things one after the other or whether they're in different different occasions. But he certainly jumps around a bit and keeps us on our toes. So he's saying, be ready for the master when he comes back. So those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to be ready and continuing on in the stuff he's given us to do with a good heart and, you know, with diligence as servants might when their master's away. Peter said to them, sorry, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. My goodness, this is hard. I, I was just looking at this and thinking, man alive, this is scary stuff. Good morning, Eunice. Um, but what he's saying is, look, you guys, you disciples, the ones I've entrusted this mission to, they, you have a responsibility to keep going and keep on track, stay on task, as my beautiful teacher wife would say. Stay on task and not get distracted. And he's saying the 
the servants are who are doing that are going to be blessed. They're going to be happy. And he, not only that, but when he does come back, he's going to increase what he gives them. So he's going to give them responsibility over all his possessions. This is really interesting, isn't it? And lots and lots of speculation have gone on into this. And But he's saying there's another kind of way of approaching it and say, well, it's a long time, you know, let's just kind of chill out and not worry too much. He'll come when he comes. It is what it is. And then the servant starts to, the person with responsibility starts to abuse his position or her position of authority and treat the other servants badly and so on and eating and drinking and kind of, um, what's the word, playing on the master's good nature and taking the mickey really. And he's saying, do you know what, when the master comes back, he's going to cut that person in two. And I'm thinking, oh my, <laughs> oh dear, that sounds a bit drastic. And and I was thinking, yeah, and actually the Bible talks about being cut, doesn't it? It talks about a sword piercing Mary's own heart. Well, of course, it didn't. Um, literally, it wasn't a literal sword that pierced her heart. It was grief. And when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, the, it says that the people who heard him were cut to the heart by his words. It talks about the, the word of God being like a two-edged sword sharper than any two-edged sword that divides between the soul and the spirit and so there's this sense when the master comes back there is a reckoning and the person who's failed you know who's kind of exploited the other servants actually is given pretty strong treatment by the master when he gets back Verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Oof. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. So he's saying, you know, the judgment, the punishment that God gives to those who um, play fast and loose with his with the responsibility he gives them will be lighter it will be easier for the person who didn't um you know who had less responsibility or knew less but that even so this is a kind of stern word it's like whoa this is a serious responsibility it's a serious trust that we've been given and it has to be said that those who carry responsibility in the church and so on there is a judgment that comes and sometimes it's pretty tough when um leaders have exploited or uh, abused their position um, of leadership and God my goodness God is not in the mood for joking when it comes to people taking that responsibility lightly so <clears throat> so to everyone whom everyone to whom much was given much of him will be required there you go and from him to they entrusted much they would demand, demand more I came to cast fire on the earth, and I would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptised with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I've come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Jesus is saying, actually, do you know what households are going to be divided over me? There's going to be conflict within the house because somebody has decided to follow me. 
and somebody else hasn't. And it, that's not an easy thing. That's really, really tough when it's within our family and there's a division of loyalty. Because Jesus is saying, actually, do you know what? I haven't come to just make everything all lovely and cosy, which seems to contradict sometimes because he's just telling us, little flock, you know, don't worry. I've given you the, the father wants to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure. And he's saying, you know, you're more precious and he's going to provide for you and all the rest of it. But he's also saying that if you're going to walk with me in a, in a genuine, discipled, uncompromising kind of lifestyle, it's going to cause conflict somewhere down the road. You're going to have some issues. It might not be at home, but it might be at work. It might be somewhere because actually, do you know what? Jesus always brings that kind of division where people say, yeah, I love this guy and others, I hate him. I want to kill him. And it was very violent and very polarized wherever, you know, wasn't it? In the reaction to Jesus when he was walking and talking on the earth verse 54 he said to the crowds he also said to the crowds when you see a cloud rising in the west you say at once a shower is coming and so it happens and when you see the south wind blowing you say there will be scorching heat and it happens you hypocrites you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky but you don't know how but why do you why do you not know how to interpret the present time he's saying you're missing What's going on here? There's something really deeply significant happening. There is a massive, massive tectonic shift and in everything because I'm here and I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who was promised and you're missing it. And all the prophecies, all the scriptures have been pointing to this time. You look up and you see the clouds and you think, oh, it's going to rain. Um, or you whatever you listen to the weather forecast now and you oh yeah i'm an expert i know it's going to rain but are you understanding what god is doing are you are you aligned with where he's at what where his purposes are at at this time is the question we should ask ourselves so verse 57 and why do you not judge yourselves judge for yourselves what is right as you go with your accuser before the magistrate make an effort to settle with him on the way lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid every la the very last penny. And so Jesus is saying, just get your... This is it seems to be a kind of disconnected thought, but it's an important one. He's saying, agree with your accuser. Settle out of court if you possibly can. Don't go through all that pain of going to court, because in the end it will cost you more. And I've seen that happen as well, where people have gone after what they think they should be able to get. And it's actually cost them more and more and more. And I kind of think, yeah, there is something about that. Settle with your accuser out of court. That's wise. But there's some I, someone else cast a really interesting light on it. And when the devil accuses us of sin, let's listen to what he's saying. Say, is there sin in my heart? Do I have a dodgy motive here have I done this for myself or you know what I mean let's let's take that kind of little seed of doubt examine our hearts and if there's something we need to get straight well let's agree and get that sorted and ask God's forgiveness before it gets dragged on and on and we go oh anyway that's just a thought really but um settle settle out of court is a good 
piece of advice there from Jesus. But the main point of this, I think there's two real main points of this chapter. One is to avoid all kinds of covetousness and not to let our lives be governed by that, but to rather lay up treasure in heaven. And secondly, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to stay focused, stay on task, stay joyfully serving him until the day he comes, even though there seems to be a bit of a delay. May God bless you. Have an amazing day, everyone. Take care. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.